Welcome to the Dr. Bub's Performance Podcast, giving you the latest evidence-based research and cutting-edge insights for elite mental and physical performance. He's connecting you directly with the world's leading experts and coaches. Here's your host, Dr. Bubs. Hey everyone, welcome to the Dr. Bubs Performance Podcast, evidence-informed, practical-based. This is season two, episode number 25, and I am currently on the road with Canada Basketball in preparation for the World Cup 2019 qualifiers here in Toronto. And of course, today with the backdrop of the NBA draft, I have the pleasure of sitting down with head strength and conditioning coach for the NBA's Sacramento Kings, Ramsey Nijem, to discuss his recent work on workload monitoring in team sport. In this episode, Ramsey will discuss internal versus external workload the acute to chronic ratio, and the relationship that exists between workload, fatigue, and injury. Ramsey will also discuss finding that right balance between pushing too hard and not pushing hard enough, as well as balancing out workloads when some players are logging starters minutes versus others coming off the bench and those not getting a lot of minutes at all. He'll also discuss the inter-individual responses of how some players can tolerate much more volume than others, the role of sleep and nutrition in recovery, as well as some of the fundamental exercises he uses with the Sacramento Kings players, and much, much more. Great insights and actionable tips here from Ramsey. Uh, You can check out the links to the research papers discussed in this episode at drbubs.com forward slash podcast, as well as my layups, the simple actionable tips. If you're interested in more on the performance side of things, you'll want to circle back to season one, episode number 18 with Dr. Charlie Weingroff on movement and rehab. Season 1, episode number 29 with former LA Lakers head strength and conditioning coach Tim DeFrancesco for more on the training, nutrition, and sleep front. And of course, season 1, episode 40 with Mr. Derek Hansen on sprinting and building speed. Terrific. Well, if you're new to the podcast, welcome aboard. Hope you enjoy the show. If you're a regular listener and enjoy the terrific insights here from the great experts, uh, please show your support by sharing on Facebook, reposting on Instagram, or retweeting on Twitter. It really is a big, big help to the show. Okay, before we get started, a quick word from this episode's sponsor, Totem Sport. Totem Sport is the world's only 100% natural supplement. No sugar, no artificial flavors, absolutely nothing added. What is it? Totem Sport is the world's purest deep ocean mineral water. Collected from natural algae blooms in the Atlantic Ocean, Totem Sport is the only sports drink supplement that contains all 78 naturally occurring minerals and trace elements. The research on deep ocean mineral water is ramping up, a recent study highlighting its major promise as the optimal rehydrating strategy over spring water and other sports drinks. Totem Sport is the evolution of hydration, the world's only 100% natural sport drink, tested and approved by Informed Sport and Informed Choice. Check out totemsport.co.uk and defy the norm. All right, on to the show, Season 2, Episode 25. Enjoy. My guest today is Ramsey Nijem the head strength and conditioning coach for the NBA's Sacramento Kings, where he's responsible for all aspects of sports performance, including strength and conditioning, sports science, and nutrition. Ramsey earned his MS from the Center for Sport Performance at California State University, Fullerton, and is currently a Doctor of Science candidate studying human and sport performance. Ramsey, really appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate you having me. Well, listen, maybe we can kick things off here by you telling listeners a little bit more about how you got interested in sports science and your path to the uh, Sacramento Kings. Absolutely. Uh, yes, yeah, so my, my path started during during my undergrad at UC Santa Barbara. Uh, I had just become a personal trainer, 
And uh, I remember walking into the sport performance facility where all the D1 athletes trained, and uh, there was a guy by the name of Jeremy Bettle there. And they, they didn't have student interns at the time, so I walk in and say, hey, coach, I would love to intern if it's possible. And uh, his response was, yeah, sure, just send me a resume. Uh, so, uh, of course, I did. Didn't hear back. And I uh, followed up probably the next day. Uh, same thing. Hey, coach, we'd love to learn. Yeah, sure, send me a resume. Uh, so that we kind of went back and forth for a few times, you know, a few days on that, uh, which was pr- which was probably like a week, but what felt like a month because I was just so excited to try to learn and get in there. Uh, what he didn't know is that the gym was literally, you know, right in the middle of my path from school to home. So there was no reason for me not to walk in there. So every day it was easy for me to just annoy him and bug him. But uh, I think eventually he he realized, man, this kid's not going to leave me alone. So uh, I remember he sat me down and said, what do you want? I just said, man, I want to learn. And um, I said, my end goal was to get to the NBA, (laughs) to which he responded. uh, That was his end goal as well. He was interested in getting to the NBA. Um, So fast forward basically a year after that, and uh, Jeremy Bettle took a job with the Brooklyn Nets. So he made his, his dream a reality, and he took a, a job with the Brooklyn Nets. He's now the director of sports science uh, or sport performance for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, so he's up there in Toronto. And uh, the guy that replaced him was Chip Schaefer. And Chip Schaefer came from the NBA. And, you know, same thing, sits me down, asks me, hey, kid, what do you want to do? And, you know, hey, coach, I would love to make it to the NBA someday. Uh, to which he responded, well, I might know a few people. And so fast forward probably another year after that, and uh, – I went on to earn my master's at Cal State Fullerton, and I actually returned back to Santa Barbara to run, uh, to start a strength and conditioning program at Santa Barbara City College, which uh, for the listeners, if they were just to Google Santa Barbara City College Stadium, uh, they would kind of see where I came from, which is a, a football stadium. We had an outdoor weight room right on the beach, uh, like literally, and so that was an incredible experience, and I spent a year there, uh, after which chip schaefer called me up he had already taken a job with the sacramento kings and he calls me up and says hey they say i can have an assistant are you interested and of course i said absolutely i would love to and um so the rest is kind of history as they say i spent two years here under chip chips now back home in, the, in chicago with the chicago bulls as their director of sports performance sports science and uh they made me the, they named me the head when he left so two years as the assistant and then i just finished up my second season as the head that's fantastic man and Looking forward today. You know, you recently gave a talk at the uh, Bay Area Sport Performance Symposium this year called "Workload Monitoring and Team Sport: Science and Practice to Impact Performance and Injury Risk." So we're going to dive into that today. And can you start by maybe defining workload and perhaps highlighting the differences between internal versus external load? Yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, the, the talk kind of revolves around um, really the literature review of what my dissertation is on, uh, and so. Uh, obviously, when it comes to workload monitoring, there's a million things you can track. In general, it's kind of this idea of just tracking data that may give you an idea of how the athlete is feeling or what state they are in as far as recovery versus readiness. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the big one, obviously, is uh, internal versus external workload variables. And uh, internal is the physiological or psychological stress that's imposed during your training activities, while external is the work that's completed. So, um, examples that you typically might see are something like a session RPE or a heart rate or heart rate variability or blood markers. Uh, those are things we typically would categorize as internal because those are giving us an idea of uh, the response that the athlete is having to the, the work that they're completing. And then examples of the external are the speeds they're moving at, the distances they're covering, uh, their accelerations and decelerations. 
um, balls thrown, for example, if you're looking at, you know, pitchers um, or tackles performed. So, um, you know, that's how I kind of separate it in my mind is what did they do that's external and how are they responding that would be internal. And what's the relationship there between workload, fatigue, and injury risk? Yeah, I mean, it's really tough to say. I think that um, there's some some things that are in the literature now that would suggest that there certainly is a relationship between uh, training load or workload and injury risk. And uh, I think the easy one, the way I like to tell my coaches here is, you know, hey, coach, if an athlete does too much, uh, then they're probably at an increased risk of injury. And if they do too little, uh, then they too are probably at an increased risk of injury. So that's kind of that balance of preparation and under preparation and then overtraining. So we don't really want to have athletes that are, you know, in a state of overtraining, at least not for a long period of time, obviously. And then you definitely don't want athletes that are underprepared for the demands of their sport. And of course, in team sports, that's always tricky to to manage on a practical sense because you got guys who are logging starters minutes, you got guys who are coming off the bench logging a certain amount of minutes, and some guys who may not see the floor so much. So, how do you guys go about? Uh, you know, using that information and then um, to inform how you do things when it's uh, practice time or time to hit the gym. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's, uh, and that's one of the tough tough parts about the NBA, right, the 82-game schedule. But then within that, you have those guys that are playing, um, you know, your rotation guys or your high-minute guys, and they're playing every night anywhere from 15 to 35 minutes a game. And then you have the guys that are also doing all the traveling and everything else, but they're just not seeing the floor. So, uh, that's one of the, the fun challenges, I think, of, of our environment is how do we make sure the athletes at the end of our bench are prepared and th- those guys are ready for this and the guys that are playing, you know, how do we keep them within a, a, a safe zone, if you will, from an injury risk perspective. So, um, you know, the guys that are playing a lot, uh, we're not doing – we're typically not adding load to, to their kind of load history. Uh, those are guys that we're encouraging recovery for and, um, we're looking at the schedule and telling them what's, Hey, we got four and five coming up. Um, let's prepare for that on the front end. Let's make sure we're, we're, our nutrition is dialed in on the front end. Let's make sure our sleep habits are dialed in the front end. Let's not wait until we get to those loads. And at which point we're kind of playing behind the ball and trying to play catch up. And then on the other end of that, it's the same idea with, with the guys that aren't playing. Hey, you're not playing. You're not getting the, the, the loads that these guys are getting, but yet at any moment, you may be asked to jump in that game and perform. And um, so we're trying to expose those guys to our workloads or to the workloads that we might anticipate. So um, if it's just encouraging coaches to let them play a little more three on three, right? If you got the six guys that aren't playing, maybe those guys are just playing more three on three while the rest of the guys are just watching film. Um, or it might be, hey, you all went through a practice that day, but you five don't play. We need to expose you to the high end accelerations and decelerations that these guys are getting in games. So let's get on the court. And let's go through a few reps of really hard accelerations, let's, you know, three-quarter court sprint, and let's slow down really fast and really expose the systems to what you might be seeing in a game. That's terrific. And, of course, you know, you mentioned too much being a problem, too little potentially being a problem. And so for that, you know, acute to chronic ratio for listeners, is there sort of a sweet spot there that, you know, in the literature at the moment we're kind of looking at in terms of trying to achieve? Yeah, uh, I I don't know if, if there is or there isn't, but uh, I do know that the literature would suggest at least that um, acute chronic workload ratios of 0.8 to 1.3 are quote-unquote this sweet spot. And so for the listeners, an acute chronic workload ratio is typically just calculated as, as the sum of your previous week's worth, so the sum of seven days. Um, usually a, 
really could be of any metric you want to you want to track but you know if you want to track distance ran for example what's the total number of miles completed over seven days and then you would divide that by your rolling average of the previous month so you would take the sum of the previous month in miles covered and then divide that by four and that would give you uh, a chronic load and and the ratio between those the acute versus chronic gives you a number that if it falls within 0.8 to 1.3 then you might say this guy's in a, in a safer zone and if it's outside of those areas either on the underside or the overside then you might think well this athlete might be um you know a little bit underprepared or this athlete may be a little bit overtrained or we may be asking them to do a little bit too much so yeah i don't know if i don't know if that that necessarily is an actual sweet spot but certainly in the literature there are suggestions that that is a sweet spot and we talked before the interview about sort of averages versus individual responses so could you dive into that a little more for listeners as well yeah, absolutely. So, um, obviously, in general, in sports science, what's what's typically reported is these group means or these averages, um, where if you take a group of ten people, for example, and um, let's say you you know you track the acute chronic workloads ratios of everybody, and what we may find within there is, um, you know, this idea of a sweet spot being 0.8 to 1.3, but because those are group means and these are group averages it's very much possible that one individual in there had a much higher acute chronic workload ratio or another individual had a much lower acute chronic uh, ratio. And, and we see that a lot in the literature, not only just in, in, in kind of workload monitoring, but we see it throughout the sports science literature. So, you know, if we're talking about squat training to improve vertical jump and you get these group means, and while it may be true that squatting may improve vertical jump, certainly within a group of 10 people, it's possible that four of them improved, three of them were neutral, and three of them actually decreased in their vertical height. So uh, that's something that we just try to appreciate and consider is this idea of, well, at the, at the team level, there may be some trends at play, but really we want to appreciate the individual and whether or not they're getting everything they need or whether or not they're truly in a risky area or a sweet spot. Uh, and to me, that's where that's where the context comes in, right, is for us to really understand the individual, while the acute chronic gives us an idea, um, if we really want to know if, if they're in a sweet spot, we probably want to bring in some of those other measures such as uh, wellness surveys or wellness data or HRV, if you will, um, or some of your force play data. So to me, you start building the context around the individual rather than worrying so much about the group means or the team trends. Yeah, very well said. It's amazing how that acute to chronic sort of gives you that 30,000 foot view. And as you mentioned, kind of getting multiple variables, giving you more of a, this complete picture of what's going on for the individual athlete being so key. Um, and so what do you do then when you find that you've got an athlete that's much more tolerable to increase workloads, whereas maybe somebody else in the starting five, you know, isn't uh, able to tolerate nearly as well? Um, are there some strategies that you use, whether it's in-game, in practice, uh, fueling, et cetera, to, to help mitigate that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, at least we try. You know, when we do have um, – I think – on one end, I'm not too worried about the guys that are able to tolerate those loads. Those are the guys that we want. You know, those are the guys that we would just, just label kind of as more resilient. If you can, if you can handle changes in workload, um, whether it be high or low, or the responses of that, right? Because typically, what you'll get is if you do have an acute chronic workload ratio on the low end, let's say 0.7, which would suggest that this athlete's done 70% of their chronic loading. Um, well, typically, what that means is within the following week or two, there's going to be a spike in workload uh, that might result in an acute chronic workload ratio of above 1.3. Um, but for your more resilient guys that are able to kind of bounce around this uh, th this ratio, 
those are the guys that we might label as more resilient and hey they're just better able to tolerate these changes and these swings and um and we've all seen it anyone that's been around kind of the elite sports setting or athletes in general you you see the guys that can handle these changes in workload and uh it doesn't matter if they've done 200 percent of their workload or 50 percent. they they feel the same they act the same and uh, so those guys don't really concern me much because those are the guys that you know we're just lucky to have and, and there's probably a little bit less i think anxiety around the, the response of them now the guys on the other end that, that can't seem to tolerate changes in workload yeah i think that there's a lot of uh, i think effort and education and encouragement on the recovery side hey i know you feel all right but let's make sure you're getting in to the cold tubs let's make sure you're getting your treatment Let's make sure that you're eating the appropriate things. Let's make sure you're actually sleeping and not going out and partying and all of those things. Uh, so to me, it, it mainly comes down to really just staying on top of them and trying to educate them. We don't do too much of the game manipulation stuff. Very rarely is it that I go to a coach, say, hey, coach, this guy is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm flagging this guy as injury risky and we want to limit his minutes. Uh, that's a very rare occasion. And usually if that is the case, like that's probably happened only a couple of times in my career. Um, that usually started with something like an acute chronic workload ratio. And then I followed up that number. I might say, okay, well, that number looks like a 1.7. That might not be good. Let me go talk to that athlete. From there, we'll take that wellness survey and we'll have that conversation with them. And, you know, so if they confirm, yeah, man, last week was really tough on my body. I'm not sleeping well. I'm hurting. Okay, cool. Now let's go have a conversation with coach. Coach, what do you think about this? And then from there, we might look at the schedule. We might say, okay, let's look at this game and this game which one of these games does it make sense to pull back a little bit? Um, and to me, that's the way that I try to bring in. I really try to make it more about the team rather than a number. It's, hey, this number gave me some insight. Let me check in with the athlete. Okay, athlete confirms. Hey, let me check in with the training staff. Hey, what are you guys seeing? What do you think? Okay, we're all on the same page. Let's go to the coach. Coach, what are you thinking? When everybody's involved in that decision-making, then I think the idea of resting for gameplay um, just becomes a little bit more, I think, tolerable or acceptable rather than, hey, this guy was a red, quote-unquote, because the literature says so, and therefore he can't play. Like I, don't, I think the latter there is probably not the right way to do it. That's terrific. Yeah, very well said in terms of getting everyone on the same page. And you know, when we talk about that player who's unable to, to tolerate some of the workload, you mentioned things like nutrition and sleep and you know just life stress. Are there certain ones that are more common than others for you for a player if they are unable to tolerate workloads that might be cropping up more often, whether it's on the sleep front or nutrition or things that you guys want to address? Yeah, I mean, the two big ones that come to mind are sleep more. And obviously, uh, the sleep is going to be influenced by a lot of things, primarily what's going on at home. Um, so both literally, like if you just have a bad sleep environment because you have your friends up late at night playing games while you're trying to sleep next door. But then also kind of figuratively as far as stress goes and maybe you're, um, you know, you're newly married with a kid and something like that. So trying to manage some of that so that they can just get more sleep. Like to me, just getting more sleep is critical. Uh, and then also nutrition is obviously another critical piece to it. But these guys, it's really just encouraging them to eat more. Like there's food available 24 seven. Uh, and like, it's, it's crazy. There's breakfast. We have two full-time chefs. So as soon as they come in the door, there's breakfast, whether it's buffet that's out or they could get their food made to order, uh, after either shoot around or practice, there's lunch. If they want to take something to go, they can do that. When we're on the road, it's breakfast. And there's the pregame locker room meals that guys are ordering. Postgame on the charter, there's food. And in meetings, there's food. So there's just there's so much food. The food, the food environment is there. And so for us, it's really just encouraging them to eat, to eat, to eat. Because 
a lot of these guys just grew up playing ball and they don't even consider all the other factors that might go into their performance. Um, and especially if you're, you know, with Sacramento Kings, we have, we have like 10 guys under the age of 25. So a lot of these guys are just learning to be an adult when it comes to their, their nutrition and sleep habits, let alone an adult in the NBA. So yeah, it's a lot of education, but I think for sure sleep, getting more sleep and then eating more are the two big ones we try to push. Yeah, it's great to have that environment where you the players can, as you mentioned, you know, the education, being able to grow. Um, obviously, we're in the midst of the World Cup of Soccer. We had Ronaldo there scoring three goals. And, you know, he's over the years, they talk about his nutrition and the fact that now he's, you know, he eats six meals a day, he never misses his regime. And this is definitely something where the environments you guys create in the NBA now is terrific for that because the guys do have access to all that stuff. So great to see on that front. And that kind of shift gears here a little bit because, uh, you know, the NBA draft is coming up this week. You have a lot of young, talented players in the Sacramento Kings. You know, from a strength coach perspective, when you're in the gym, what are some of the key fundamentals there that you're looking to instill in your young players? Yeah, I think the big one we're trying to instill, I think, is just habits. Um, I think it starts there, and that's 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 the fun challenge for us is, you know, we got these guys that are, that are literally, you know, a lot of them are one and done in college. Uh, and so they, they haven't been they, – they went from AAU basketball to maybe uh, one year in college. Probably didn't do much in high school as far as strength and conditioning. Probably didn't do much in college as far as strength and conditioning. So by the time they get here, their training age is so young that, um, you know, yes, the strength and the conditioning are, are important that we're trying to get at those. But, you know, we're just trying to get them to build habits uh, that have sustained them through a 10- to 15-year career. Uh, so I think that's the big one early is, you know, let me just make sure you're getting in here when you're supposed to be in here. Let me make sure you're doing the things that we want. Uh, but we're not too worried about killing them as far as volume or load goes. We're just let's get them in here. Let's get them moving. Let's make sure we're building a movement library. Let's make sure that they're feeling more competent and confident in those movements. And then as we grow through the years with these guys, um, then that's when the volume, and the load st- start to pick up a little bit on our end. But yeah, just just habits early on. Are you taking care of your body? Are you? Um, are you doing the things that we want exactly how we want them? Uh, is our communication good? Are you communicating with me? Are you not liking something we're doing? And if not, let's have that conversation. Uh, so I think it's just trying to build a foundation for these young guys that we could build off going into season two, three, and beyond. Yeah, that's uh, that's terrific. And it's you know when we talk about some of the fundamental lifts, let's say for a basketball player, you know, can you maybe give us a little quick overview of some of the things that you guys focus on with Sacramento? Absolutely. Uh, so squats and, and, and trap bar deadlifts are really our two big lower bodies that we, we choose to focus on. And if we're not squatting uh, with some type of load on the bar, then we're probably going a little bit lighter and, and we're going to go with some speed. So we love speed squats and we have elite form on our, our racks and we have a portable tendo that we use to kind of uh, cue our intents and our efforts um, on those fronts. Um, so definitely squatting and the trap bar deadlifts is a big one that we like. It's, it, that's probably the one that we get to load up more and, and have more fun. So we just finished a strength block with some of our guys leading into our summer league. And, you know, we had three, we had th- three or four, four guys hitting four or five for triples. Um, and so that's always fun to just let them grab and go. And I think we're a big fan of the trap bar, obviously, because it places the load on kind of neutrally on your side as far or uh, compared to a barbell, which is going to place that out in front of you. So a little, a little bit safer allows you to just drive force into the floor, and um, obviously you're going to get some trunk challenge in, involved with some of that. So those are probably our, our two big ones that we like to go with. Uh, we're not afraid of any lift, so we do everything. I mean, we bench guys no problem. Uh, we don't have a problem benching guys in here, barbell bench press. Um, 
And then from there, we just kind of get creative, honestly. So I'm like, I'm looking around our weight room now. We have center mass bells. We have kettle bells. We have Kaiser machines. Big fan of our belt squat. We use the belt squat a fair amount, whether it's for preparation. So whether it's preparing the athlete for the barbell squat, um, we'll throw in the belt squat then. Or if it's, uh, we do have guys that don't like to put a bar on their back, one, one guy in particular. Or because of the long levers we're dealing with, sometimes our guys just have low backs that are just kind of irritated and so we'll throw them on our belt squad and let them go with that because we can load the hips without challenging the uh without loading the spine so um and then obviously all your unilateral variations now i'm looking around the room again riff it over split squats different lunge variations step up variations um so yeah we we kind of throw it all at them but i would say squats and trap bar deadlift are our two favorites terrific um you know, you recently also posted on your Twitter feed there, the 30 drills in 30 days, uh, some of the movements that you incorporate with basketball players. Can you talk about um, a few of the qualities that you're trying to develop there and maybe some maybe some movement um, dysfunction that tends to occur in some of the basketball players? Yeah, absolutely. Um, from a movement quality standpoint, I think I'm a big fan of just exposing these guys to anything and everything we can. Uh, so from a movement category perspective, squats and hinges – um, and then unilateral variations, so like a lunge, are kind of the ones that we care to build on. Um, and then just regular push-pull, so whether it's a horizontal or a vertical push, and then a horizontal or vertical pull, those are kind of our categories that we want to make sure our guys are competent in. Um, and then within those, we kind of get crazy. So, you know, if it's if it's a movement that fits within one of those categories, we're probably doing it. Um, we recently, we've kind of had the six-week built out uh leading into our summer league where the first two weeks was really just we were looking at mainly volume and, and building their movement library so reintroducing some of our movements that we care about like our bar- barbell squat because some of our guys were out of town for about a month um so we spent two weeks building building kind of a, a volume from a hypertrophy perspective but also just volume from a learning perspective spent two weeks doing that from there we transitioned into our two weeks of strength blocks and, or a strength block uh, and there, we're just looking to get some heavy weight going. Um, while we're doing that, we're introducing some of our speed and, and med ball throw variations because what just kicked off today, going into the next two weeks, will kind of be our speed power blocks where we're focusing on throws and um, and really just focus more on on speed. So you know, today we're doing barbell jumps with with depth med ball push presses where you drop off of a 12 inch or 18 inch box uh, as soon as you hit the ground, ground contact, jump up with the med ball and release um into a push press med ball push press um so those are kind of that was that's kind of the layout of that um and then where so our heavy squats become speed squats maybe even band assisted speed squats um our jumping variations now would include barbell jumps uh we'll bring a vertex in so our trap bar day will become a speed trap bar with also trap bar jumps um and so we're really just trying to build a library i guess of of hey can you do anything you want with heavyweight can you do it for a lot of reps and can you do it really fast and if the answer to all that is yes then you know we we feel like we're building uh, a pretty uh robust athlete that has the ability to do whatever whatever we're throwing at them but also whatever they 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 feel like they should be able to do to me a big part of with a lot of our guys is are you confident to do whatever you want to do out there on the court you know uh, and if the answer to that is no, well that, then you're probably limiting yourself as an athlete because there may be a move or a defensive position you want to get into, uh, but you just aren't confident getting there. So I think it's our job to try to help you become confident in everything. Fantastic, Razzie. That's great stuff. And, you know, if we 
take a minute here and circle back to the nutrition front. Obviously, you know, preseason building up for these different training blocks. What are some of the areas that you guys are dialing in with some of your younger players um, or even the team for that matter in terms of, you know, is it uh, overall energy intake? Is it protein intake? Is it, you mentioned meal frequency before. Are there certain areas of focus that you guys uh, dial in? Yeah, I mean, the first one is just just energy intake for sure. Um, again, these guys are just basketball players in general. I don't think have a – they just didn't grow up where with the traditional like, hey, eat a good meal before practice, eat or, or train, excuse me, or practice, and then eat a big meal post or recovery. Like that, that's not something they're used to. So I think it's just drilling some of that. Hey, let's make sure we get a good breakfast. Obviously, you're going to have a long practice, and, and we want you to be able to handle the demands of that. And then let's make sure we're eating a fair amount after um so after we drill intake or, or which is just eat when you eat not only when you're hungry but it may there may be some times where you need to eat when you're not hungry as well uh because of just the way these guys are built and then obviously protein uh and so we try to drill protein we like to recommend and encourage the one gram per pound body weight uh, we're not necessarily you know rigorous in our efforts at that we we just we want to encourage it with the idea being that hey even though you may not get to that one gram per pound body weight, you're probably going to get fairly close, um, which is all we really want because for sure uh, allows for some buffer room there. Yeah, there's there's definitely some buffer room, but I like to cue and, and, and encourage on the high end, knowing that you'll probably miss. Uh, same thing with like post practice shakes, uh, protein shakes. Uh, I don't necessarily subscribe to the idea of like a, a anabolic window, quote unquote, or you know some of the nutrient timing research that's coming out. Um, we fully acknowledge that, but we also all acknowledge that because these guys are athletes, if we don't coach them to something, to do something, then they're probably not going to do anything. Uh, so we do try to tell them, hey, get a shake after. Uh, our chefs make those, and there's some protein in there. There's some creatine in there. Um, there's some fruit in there. And so we're trying to drive home these ideas of, hey, calories are very good for us to recover. Hey, specifically, protein is probably pretty good for us to recover. Uh, and those are the big ones we cue. We don't really – I don't think I, we, we've never really had to tell guys or talk to guys too much about carbohydrates um, and, and the need for them and, and which types and those types of things. Uh, we do If we do have body composition kind of uh, cases, then we'll certainly cue or, or we'll certainly try to prescribe more complex carbohydrates to those guys that need to gain body weight and the guys that need to lose weight. Uh, then we'll try to cut back a little bit on those and just replace those with vegetables just specifically because of the the caloric density of those things absolutely yeah it's i mean great point there and just in terms of instilling some of those habits getting the guys used to uh, coming off the court or coming off the out of the gym and, and having a shake contributing to that meal frequency through the day great stuff there and ramsey finally you know on the mindset side of things if we shift gears again you know how important is it for players to develop the the mental side of their game you know focus concentration high speed decision making you know, how can those things start to separate themselves or help the guys separate themselves in the league? I think they're they're certainly critical for success. Um, I think that the best guys in the, in the NBA probably have a lot of those things that are that are tough to measure, that are tough to really, uh, I think, conceptualize at times. But like, I, I think those guys are the ones that are just doing a great job uh, as far as being resilient when it comes down to the wire. What kind of confidence do you have with the game online? Are you the guy that wants that shot? Um, so yeah, I think building certainly a mental capacity to take on these stressful situations is, is key, and um, I think that it's it's fun for me as 
both a coach and, and basketball fan to watch our young guys come in the league and to develop some of those things. And um, and we kind of have a we have an interesting case over here with the Sacramento Kings, where we have a lot of young guys, but we have every single young guy wants that shot. They all want to be kind of that quote unquote hero for the game, and so uh, which is a good problem to have, right? Everybody wants that moment, and, and they don't shy away from it. Um, Absolutely. So it's certainly a good problem to have, and it's been fun to watch. And we've had some fun games this year with, you know, our, our point guard, our, our rookie point guard, De'Aaron Fox, has had a couple game winners. I think like four game winners, uh, which is fun to watch. You know, as being, a, you know, he's I'm watching him. He's 19, 20 years old, and he's really going after these big time moments, and is excited to go after him. And it's and it's performing in those situations like he's a vet. So it's it's fun to watch. Yeah, it's amazing what the kids can do these days compared, you know generation ago guys were going to college three or four years before they get to the pros and now like you said you get a 19 year old one year one and done and all of a sudden they're contributing in a big way and, and hitting game winning shots it's amazing um absolutely awesome ramsey want to respect your time here um last couple questions for you first one what do you think the evolution of workload monitoring is in basketball let's say you know in the next five or ten years where is this heading oh man um it's gonna be interesting to watch especially at the nba level because uh, I don't foresee wearables being able to be worn in games. So currently, athletes can't wear anything uh, during a game to track data, and I don't foresee that changing. Uh, we're starting to see already in the NBA with uh, collective bargaining agreements that there's only a certain number of technologies that have been approved for use, and then within there, players have the right to refuse to wear any of them. Uh, and so... I, you know, it's funny. On one end, I, I want to say, like, I think that the things are going in the right direction and it's fun to, to start to gain insight. And, and I think people are starting to appreciate the insight that can be gained from some of these things. But then on the other end, I'm definitely seeing the kind of defenses be put up and, and the players um, having at least now the right to refuse. And there's not much that we can do about that, uh, which is never really my, my job, I think, as, as a strength coach or sports scientist. is It's never to try to get data from a guy that doesn't want to provide it it's you know hey i'm here to help and this is something i believe in and if you give me the opportunity to educate you on it then i think there's some things that we can get from this information that will really help you stay healthy uh, so you know I, i'm not sure where it said it i think that it's it's certainly moving in the right direction as far as what we're learning um, when it comes to how injury relates to some of this but uh, i think i think as we learn more what we're also going to be battling with is the challenge is to get some of this information from guys and, and really have to justify why we're getting it. That's one of the issues that we're starting to see is although some of these things such as acute chronic workload ratio are uh, entertaining to, to chat about, especially with you know colleagues and, and sports scientists and people who, who really love the literature, um, there's certainly a big gap between what we think we know in the literature and what we're actually seeing in a practice. And um, so I think until we can really justify, hey, this, this piece of data is really going to allow me to reduce your risk of injury. Uh, I don't see the NBA hopping on board and saying, hey, carb launch, everybody collects whatever they want and players buying into that. So, um, But now with that said, I do think that where the literature gets to go now is starts to ex starting to explore you know, what are the moderators of injury risk when it comes to acute chronic workload ratios? What things, you know, why is it that some players can go have a quote-unquote risk threshold at 1.3 like the sweet spot would suggest versus some athletes can go all the way up to 2.3 right what are the what are the differences between those two athletes and how does strength how does conditioning 
Uh, how does how does speed qualities? How do these things influence um, an athlete's threshold of acute chronic? Which really is to say their threshold of changes in workload, right? How 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 does athlete A take on workload changes compared to athlete B, and what are the differences between there? So I, I think the literature moves towards trying to figure out some of those answers, um, and then also, hey, maybe acute chronic isn't even that, that you know much needed. There's certainly there was a recent paper that just came out that that at least suggested that bringing in the chronic workload from an acute chronic ratio perspective may just be noise and you may not need a ratio. All you may need to worry about is the acute portions of that acute chronic. Um, now that complicates things a little bit because the great thing about acute chronic is that it gives you a denominator of chronic that allows you to create a number regardless of what the acute was. Whereas if you start trying to understand injury risk from just an acute load perspective, well, now there's no pretty number that allows you to easily make it work, and it becomes more specific to sport and athlete. So I think things get a little bit more complicated, and I think we got to juggle the challenges of the NBA. And um, So I think there's a lot going on, which is a long-winded way for me to say I'm pretty excited about it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fascinating stuff. And like you said, so many variables involved in trying to, to pin down yeah, what makes one athlete more resilient than the next. And Leads into my next question here. What's the biggest take-home message you give to your athletes on this front of workload monitoring? Oh, the biggest take-home. Uh, I think the biggest one that we try to instill is just cr- make yourself the most robust athlete you can be. And how do you do that? Uh, there's signs on our doors that just say own, own your health, own your performance, and own your career, which are – while I don't think we'll get to a point where we can actually confidently predict why a player gets hurt, I think what we can confidently say is that uh, athletes who do buy into their sleep, who do buy into their nutrition, who do buy into their recovery habits, who do stay prepared from an exposure perspective, you know, if you're at the end of the bench, are you doing things to stay ready for NBA gameplay, right? Are you exposing yourself to decelerations and accelerations and the conditioning? Um, are you getting in the weight room? Are you making sure that the physical qualities are there? I think you know, all of those things play a role in creating a robust athlete. Um, so those are the things that I think we try to drive or like, Hey, uh, we get that this sports science stuff is complicated and I'm not telling you I can predict injury, but I'm telling you that I'm confident if you do all of these things right, that it'll probably help you along the way. Um, and you know, hopefully they subscribe to those ideas and, and buy in and, um, and we've seen examples of it. You know, we, I've had, um, Rajon Rondo as a player and his habits are incredible. Like he's one of the most prepared athletes I've ever seen. And, you know, I asked him, I said, yo, doe. Have you always been this way or was this, you know, result of of an injury because he was hurt in his career? And he said, no, it's definitely injury. As soon as I got hurt, I bought into this. Uh, And same thing. I've had the fortune now to work with Vince Carter and his habits are incredible. And same idea. You know, he said he's he's taking care of his body better now than when he was a rookie or a sophomore, that rookie contract, which is crazy because he's 40 years old now. So, um, you know, we try to just instill that, hey, if you have the right habits, it's going to help you hopefully avoid an injury. And if it doesn't, well, at least it may help you extend your career. And with the money in the NBA nowadays, adding years to your career uh, could mean millions and millions of dollars. So, yeah, those are the things that we try to drive home. Yeah, it's amazing if you can have an old head on young shoulders, man. Yeah, that idea of taking care of yourself after someone's been injured or as they get older is uh, definitely a common theme. That's really interesting stuff. And there's the last question for here for you, Ramsey. On a personal note, love to ask my guests about their morning routines. You're a busy guy. How does the day start? Are you in the gym? Is it coffee? Are you at work? Walk us through how that looks. 
Yeah, absolutely. Good question. I don't know if I've ever been asked that. Uh, well, I start by making my bed every morning. That's a big one. Uh, nice. So I, de- I definitely am a believer in, in kind of getting that easy win out the way. So you usually make the bed. If we're home, then it's um, – I'm not a huge coffee guy, but I have I have slowly been becoming a latte guy, which uh, you could blame my girlfriend for that one. I think she's, she got me a vanilla latte once, and I thought it was the best thing ever. So, nice. uh, so starting to become a coffee guy, and if it's not an early training session – then it's a sit down and read whatever's on the read list, which is all, I don't know, 260 tabs deep at this point of papers I need to get to. So um, if it's it's usually make the bed, a, a quick drive in, a cup of coffee or a vanilla latte, and then either read or get to training. Uh, and if it's neither of those, then it probably means that I'm in a meeting. So usually that's the morning for me. Awesome, man. This is great stuff. And really appreciate you taking the time today, Ramsey. You know, where can people stay connected with you and keep up with all your fantastic work? Yeah, uh, where can they stay connected with me? I'm, I'm on Instagram. I think it's just Ramsey underscore Nigel. Don't quote me on that. So uh, I think that's it, though. And then I'm also I've, – I've slowly been trying to get on Twitter now. Like I'm trying to become a little bit more persistent or, or consistent on that. So the Twitter handle is Ramsey underscore M underscore Nigel. Um, and those are the two main social mediums I'm on. Not really big on Facebook anymore. And I don't know the other ones, LinkedIn, I guess, but um, those are the main two. And I'm usually pretty responsive on, on both of those. So uh, that's been the result of I remember being young and reaching out to coaches and remembering how I felt when people got back to me. I just thought it was the most amazing thing ever. So uh, it's certainly one of my goals now to respond to every message I get. Fantastic, man. Well, listen, we'll definitely include uh, those links in the show notes at drbubs.com forward slash podcast. Uh, thanks for coming on again, Ramsey. Thanks for everyone else tuning to tuning in today. Uh, if you have any questions for Ramsey or want to leave a comment on today's episode, we'd love to hear from you as well. You can reach out on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Dr. Bubs. Uh, your comments really greatly appreciated, so definitely keep them coming. Thanks again, everyone, and see you guys all next week. The Dr. Bubs Performance Podcast endeavors to provide accurate and helpful information to listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Dr. Bubs Performance Podcasts.